Well, we're going to be talking about family this morning, so I thought we'd have a little fun as we get started and uh, start out with uh, a little bit of Jeopardy. Okay, you know how this works. We provide the answers, you provide the question, okay? The category will be famous families. Let's try a couple practice rounds just to sort of get the hang of it here. The first answer is Motown Quintet. Who is the Jackson 5? You got it. Very good. Okay, another one. First family, twice. Who is the Bush family? There's actually another answer to that one. The Adams family as well. Not that Ed's family, the other Adams family. Okay. George H. and uh, Barbara and George W. and Laura were first families of our nation. All right, let's get to the real question, the one I want to kind of launch our message with, okay? Category still famous families, and the answer is trying to live a quiet suburban life, these undercover heroes are forced into action to save the world. Who are the Incredibles is the right answer, okay? The Incredibles. There's no money, so just clap, that's all you're getting, okay? Most of us are probably familiar now with the uh, Pixar film of a few years ago. It tells the story of a, a couple super-powered crime fighters, Bob and Helen Parr, better known as Mr. Incredible and Elastigirl, and their super-powered children, who are forced into early retirement from their crime-fighting careers. Now, they're happy for their new life together as a family, but Bob is bored with his predictable office job. Helen, too, misses the excitement sometimes of the glory days, but, but she's worried about what a return to that life might mean for their family. But, of course, everything changes when a supervillain named Syndrome, get it, Syndrome, Syndrome, when a supervillain named Syndrome threatens to take over the world. And the incredible family has no choice but to put on their true identities and jump into action to once again try and save the world. I won't spoil the ending for you, but let's just say that this family discovers that they are at their best when they're on mission and not living a quiet suburban life. So if you answered the Incredibles, you are right. Or at least you are half right. There's actually another correct answer to that particular statement. Let me put it up on the screen again. Trying to live a quiet suburban life, these undercover heroes are forced into action to save the world. Any other guesses? Who are we? Who is your family? Thank you very much. Who is your family? Now, if you've been tracking with our teaching series, you could probably see that one coming a mile away, all right? We're talking this spring about learning to live on mission in our everyday lives, how to join God in His life-changing, world-shaping work uh, in, the, in the world around us. And so a couple of weeks ago, we talked about learning to, uh, to live on mission in our neighborhoods. We talked about learning to live on mission at home in our everyday chores and responsibilities. Today, we're going to talk about living on mission as a family certainly seems appropriate on a day in which we are dedicating 30-some children and families across our campuses. But I would want you to understand that when we talk about family, it's not just the nuclear family we are talking about, parents, children, siblings, relatives. We're also talking about the spiritual family, the church, brothers and sisters in Christ, children of the Heavenly Father, the family of God. 
And as you probably figured out by now, the Incredibles are not the only family with a mission to fulfill. In fact, I would argue that none of us are meant to live quiet, predictable, suburban lives. That's why we love superhero movies. Because we like to believe that each one of us has the potential to do something special in this world, to make a mark upon the world, that we have something special inside of us. And you know what? That turns out to be true in the providence of God. But it's true not only for us as individuals, it's true for us as families as well. So let's jump into that topic, talk about living on mission as a family. I've got three simple truths for you this morning, straight from Scripture. I'll try to explain them, but the application will come at the end of the message when I invite a family to come up and talk with us about how they have been living missionally as a family. So let's jump in. The first biblical truth I have for you this morning is that your family is your mission. Your family is your mission. Remember, the premise of this whole series is that living on mission doesn't mean adding something to your life. It means aligning your life with God's grand purpose for this world and for your life in particular. I mean, chances are your life is full enough already of relationships and activities and responsibilities. So this is not about adding things to your everyday life. This is about aligning those everyday tasks and activities and relationships, aligning them with what God is doing in the world and through you. And so understand that your family is not a distraction from your mission. Your family is not in competition with your mission. Your family is not a hindrance to your mission. Your family is central to your mission in life. Listen to these words written by the Apostle Paul to a pastor named Timothy leading a church in Ephesus. And he writes, Give proper recognition to those widows who are really in need. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, these should learn, first of all, to put their religion into practice by caring for their own family, and so repaying their parents and grandparents, for this is pleasing to God. If anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially his immediate family, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Well, it appears that some members of this church in Ephesus were so caught up in the urgency of their gospel mission, spreading the good news, building the church, that they were neglecting the members of their own family, neglecting their own mothers and grandmothers, no less, and expecting the church to just pick up the slack. Now, Paul has no patience with this. Practicing your faith begins at home, he says. Providing for your loved ones, it's at the top of your to-do list if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. In fact, he says if a person doesn't provide for their family, they are worse than, than an unbeliever. They are betraying their very faith in God. And, and notice that when Paul talks about the family here, he's not just talking about a traditional nuclear family, mom, dad, 2.3 kids. He includes grandparents and relatives. So when Paul talks family, he reaches across household boundaries to include the extended family as well. And notice, it's not just about care flowing down from older generation to younger generation, but upwards from younger to older generations as well. Now, personally, I am very intrigued by this idea of children repaying their parents. 
I've never seen a reimbursement check yet, but maybe it's coming. I don't know. So if you belong to any kind of family at all, however extended that family may be, providing for those loved ones is central to your mission in life. It begins at home. But what does provide mean? That's kind of a general word. Well, for starters, it certainly means financial provision. Food to eat, clothes to wear, roof over the head, cars to drive in, a decent education, maybe some recreational uh, enrichment kinds of opportunities. Now, I have some tough news for the parents who presented their children in dedication this morning. It's going to cost you about $241,000 to get those children to age 18. That's what they're telling us today. And believe me, it doesn't stop at age 18, okay? <laughs> so that's a pretty daunting thing. But what it means is that when you head out, head out the door to work every day, to bring home a paycheck, to provide food and clothing and food and shelter and roof over the head and education, you are fulfilling your mission, no matter what kind of work you do. In fact, in today's economy, many, many providers are finding they have to work outside their chosen profession. They may have to work beneath their pay grade. They may have to work two or three jobs or work into their retirement years in order to provide. Many married couples are finding both husband and wife need to work outside the home. Many middle-aged couples are finding they have to continue working into their retirement years in order to help provide for aging relatives or parents in their twilight years. For some immigrant families, first generation, it means working to send money back home to provide for your relatives in another country. For some siblings, it may mean taking responsibility for a brother or a sister with a chronic health need or with special needs, maybe taking that responsibility for the rest of their life and your life. All of that is involved with living on mission. So when you head out the door to go to work and bring home a paycheck, or if you stay at home to provide care for children, parents, family members, you are fulfilling your mission. Those hours you spend are not a distraction from or in competition with your mission. Paul tells us this pleases God. So pro providing begins, of course, with financial provision. We could also talk about emotional provision and spiritual provision as well. Now, we don't have time to talk about uh, meeting emotional needs right now. We've kind of talked about that in some other messages. But let me speak for a minute about providing for our families spiritually. Listen to some other words that Paul wrote in his letter to, to the Ephesians. He says, Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Now, I have no idea what Paul could be referring to when he talks about fathers exasperating their children, but what Paul's reminding us here is that it is central to a parent's mission in life to provide spiritual nurture for the children in their care. Now, he singles out fathers here. He's certainly not excluding mothers, but he's speaking to a culture in that ancient world in which fathers typically were not involved with the nurture of young children. Fathers often would not get involved until the child came of age at 13, and then often only with boys. 
So Paul is simply saying that he wants both fathers and mothers to be actively engaged in passing faith on to the next generation through every stage of life. Now, whenever I read this little passage about fathers and training and instruction, I can't help but think about the town that we spent a lot of years living in uh, on Long Island in New York. Now, it was a town that was famous for producing all-American lacrosse players. Lacrosse was a religion in that town. The, the, the life of the town revolved around that sport. The, the snow wouldn't even be off the ground yet, and you would see kids all over town cradling their sticks as they walked around town. Parents would spend great amounts of money on, on, on the gear, on, on lessons, on leagues, on camps. Organized lacrosse began at, a, at, at kindergarten with boys and girls, full pads, right from the get-go. Every team had two, three, four fathers actively involved in coaching. And many of these guys would, would take an early train home from the city, come running onto the field in their power suits, but they were not about to miss a minute of lacrosse practice. They demonstrated proper technique. They taught the basic skills. They explained the strategy of the game. They told stories of the glory days. They shouted and screamed from the sidelines. They called kids aside and whispered encouragement in their ears. They gave rousing speeches. Those fathers raised their children in the training and instruction of lacrosse. And it was a remarkable thing to watch. The NCAA playoffs are happening this weekend. Guarantee you there are kids from that town who will be on the field today. But as exciting as it was to be a part of that, I couldn't help but wonder what would happen if these fathers and mothers were as intentional and as passionate about raising children of faith and character as they were about raising great lacrosse players. Now, the same observations could be made about some hockey dads and some mathlete moms, and some Suzuki grandparents. We can all think about the, the lengths we will go to to ensure our kids' development academically, athletically, artistically. We'll wake them up early to get to practice. We'll drive them back and forth across town. Are we prepared to make that same commitment? Are we that devoted to the spiritual development of our children as well? Early in the service, as we were dedicating children, we asked parents if they were willing to raise their children in the ways of God and the fellowship of the church. And they answered by saying, we will. And that's a good answer. It's your mission in life. But it is our mission in life as well. If you have any children in your life, sons, daughters, grandchildren, nieces, nephews, you share in providing spiritual nurture for them. Your family is your mission. Now, we'll get some more practical advice about that in just a minute. Our second truth for the day is that your family has a mission. Your family has a mission. In the same way that every individual has been created by God and designed by God to do something significant in this world that glorifies Him, every family is being shaped by God and called by God to do something unique and significant in this world as well. Listen to these words from the Old Testament, spoken by a, a leader and a father named Joshua. Choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, 
whether the gods your forefathers served beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Now these words were spoken at a critical time in Israel's history. With God's help, under Joshua's leadership, they had conquered and settled the promised land of Canaan. It was all theirs to enjoy. But that land was still under the influence of false gods and unhealthy ways of living, including child sacrifice. And so as a leader of those people, Joshua says to the community, follow me, follow my example in resisting these false gods and unhealthy ways of living and as we follow the one true God. But what I find interesting is that Joshua doesn't simply say, ask the people to follow him, but to follow his family. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. In other words, he said, my family and I will live among you, and we will live among you in such a way that we point you towards God, towards his ways and to his blessing. By their words and deeds, by their activities, by their relationships, by the way they lived out their faith, they would be models of what life is meant to, be, want to, to look like under God's rule. And Joshua couldn't do that by himself. He needed his family. Now, obviously, Joshua's family was a unique family at a particular time and place with a unique role to fulfill. But so is your family. You have a unique family, I'm pretty sure. You live in a particular time and place. You have a unique set of experiences and skills and passions. And God would like to employ your family in the service of the kingdom. Because you too are living in a time and place that is under the influence of, of some false and unhealthy ways of living. People today are confused about how to order their lives, how to raise their children, how to spend their money, how to handle hardship, how to make sense out of suffering. There's a lot of confusion in our world, a lot of unhealthy examples and, and values. I just read this week about a children's hospital in Denver, Colorado rather. It offers free, confidential birth control advice and treatment to children as young as 12 years old, including the morning after pill. The hospital's website reads, sex is fun, but it's also not something to mess around with. If you're having sex or are planning on it, we're here to help. Now, I understand that, that preventing teenage pregnancy and, and STDs is, is a critically important thing to do in our culture today. And I understand that Young women, young men in a time of crisis need a safe and compassionate place to turn. I understand all of that. But surely we can do better than sex is fun, we can help. It sounds like a Home Depot advertisement. <laughs> Having sex, installing a patio, whatever, <laughs> we can help. Help what? Help a young person to be sexually intimate outside the safety of marriage? Help a young person quickly and quietly terminate a pregnancy without talking with their parents about it? Suddenly, child sacrifice doesn't sound that far-fetched, does it? 
all this to say, we live in a time and a place that desperately needs models, people, families, living the kinds of lives that God designed us to live. And you have an opportunity to be those models. You are a person of influence. Whether you realize it or not, people are watching you. You may not be as musical as the Jackson 5. You may not be as politically connected as the Bush family. But you have a unique calling in this world. Maybe your family, or you as a couple, have a heart for adoption or foster care or kinship care. Maybe your family does have some musical abilities that you want to share with the world or with the church. Maybe together you have an evangelistic heart for your neighborhood or the community or the school system with which you're involved. Maybe you have a compassionate heart for, for those who are poor and disenfranchised. As a family, you want to do something together. Maybe your family has experience with chronic illness or with special needs, and you're committed to helping other families deal with that. All kinds of missions. Maybe building a church is your family's mission. Grace Chapel is here today because 60-some years ago, four families decided that they would live on mission and build a church in Lexington. And they did it as families. They, they ordered their life as a family, their weekly schedule, their finances, their relationships. They organized it all in the pursuit of, of raising up a church in this community. And many have followed their example ever since. This month, the Wilmington campus is celebrating their third anniversary as a thriving, growing campus, and we're thrilled about that. A couple of weeks ago, they had a little celebration gathering for the original leadership team of that, of that campus. About 15 or so households came together, and, and as they reflected on all that God has done over the past three years, one of the things that was most exciting for me to hear was to hear parents talk about how the experience had affected their family, their children that their children got to be in on the ground floor of the launching of a church. They helped to build and clean up the space. They shared their toys with the congregation. They prayed, they served, they gave, they watched it all happen. Those kids will never forget that experience. The parents said that the whole experience has, has brought them together as a family and brought them all closer to God. The same thing's been happening in Watertown and in East Lexington, and it happens here in Lexington as well, all the time. Have you and your family ever sat down and said, what is our mission in this world? What kind of skills and experiences and passion and relationship has God given us? Do your kids know the who, what, why that's at the center, at center of your life together as a family? In just a moment, we'll hear how one family is wrestling with discovering God's mission in life. So your family is your mission. Your family has a mission. And the third truth I have for you is that your family is our church's mission. Your family is our church's mission. What I mean by that is our church is here to help you with number one and number two. To help you raise your children in the faith and to help you discover and fulfill your mission in the world. As important and powerful as families are, we were never meant to do it by ourselves. Listen to these words from the Psalms. 
This was a congregational song that people would have prayed or sung together when they gathered for worship, just as we're doing here this morning. Things we have heard and known, things our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, His power and the wonders He has done. So the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born, and they in truth would tell their children. Then they would put their trust in God and would not forget His deeds, but would keep His commands. Notice how the whole community is accepting responsibility for the spiritual welfare of these children. We will tell them. We will show them. We will live among them. They say it takes a village to raise a child. It takes a church to raise a Christ follower. It takes a church to raise a Christ follower. That's why we ask the whole congregation on the day of a dedication to say, we will, because it will be our prayers, our love, our support, and our ministry in the lives of children and teenagers that will enable the next generation to know and follow Jesus Christ. As a church, we are committed to coming alongside you and your family in the whole journey of life. That's why we offer premarital courses. That's why we offer the marriage course a couple of times a year, parenting classes, mom to mom. It's why we provide grief share and uh, divorce care for families that find themselves in times of crisis and transition. Our kids' town workers, our student ministry workers, they invest deeply in the lives of your children and your grandchildren. We have raised four children in the church. We are grateful for the choices they're making in life and in faith, but I don't know what we would have done without the church, without Sunday school teachers and boys and girls club leaders and small group leaders who cared about them, prayed for them, walked with them along the way. If you are one of those workers, thank you. On behalf of every parent in this congregation, thank you for all you do to serve our children. As we mentioned earlier in our service, we are, we are wanting to give our kids' town workers a rest for the summer. Most of them give 40 weeks a year to serving in kids' town. We'd like them to take a break for the summer. That we, means we need 160 volunteers every Sunday for 10 weeks this summer. Would you be willing to take one or two Sundays just to get an experience of what it's like? As we said, maybe it'll be for you. Maybe you say it's not for me but you can be a great help and invest in the lives of our children and our workers over the course of the summer. Just stop at the table on your way out today. But it's not just about providing programs for our children and teenagers. It's about providing a family atmosphere, an intergenerational experience of life and faith that we work very hard at here at Grace Chapel. And we hope that you are taking advantage of every opportunity to enter into life together as a, as a spiritual family. Parents, your family is your mission, your family has a mission, and your church's mission is to help you with both of those missions. That's what we'd want you to know today. But as we finish up, you're probably asking a little bit of the how question. This is all very inspiring, but in the reality of today's world, how do you do this? So as we finish, I'd like to ask a family from the Lexington campus if they'll come join me here on the platform in a minute. Uh, would you welcome the Vin family as they come on up? Hi, folks, come on up. 
Okay, Don, why don't you take a moment, just kind of introduce your family and tell us a little bit about uh, where you live and work and that sort of thing. Hi, uh, we're the Vins family. My name is Don, and here's Loretta. Uh, Jordan is 11, and Angelina is 8. Uh, they go to the Bedford Public School. Uh, I work in finance in Chelmsford, and my wife is the pediatrician at the East Boston Community Health Center, and we've been going to church here at Grace Chapel for 17 years. Okay, well, th thanks, Don. Uh, one of the things we've been talking about this morning is the fact that part of a family's mission or parents' mission is to raise their children in the ways of God. Would you tell us a little bit about how the two of you have sought to do that over the years? I think the best way that um, sums up what Don and I do at home is that we try to be very intentional. For instance, when we first got married, we intentionally joined a young married couples class because we both believe that in order to be really strong parents, we need to have a very strong foundation for our marriage first. When we started having children, we wanted to show our kids that God is in every part of our lives, that he's not just when we go to church on Sundays or when we pray before meals. We wanted to teach them that um, we, uh, we live out our faith, and we wanted them to know that this is who we are. One thing that Donna and I do is that we very uh, purposefully share with them a lot about what, we, what God has done in our lives since we were young in the past, all the way till even now, currently, day to day, what he does. And we also share with them about the choices we've made, both good and bad. One of the things that um, Donna and I also focus a lot on with our children is the importance of relationship. Um, there are two things that we have always said to our kids um, ever since they were really young, and we say this to them frequently. One is, there is absolutely nothing you can say or do that will ever make us not love you anymore. And secondly, that we will always forgive you no matter what. And we've learned also as parents that it's important for us to ask for forgiveness from our children when we do something wrong too, because certainly we're not perfect parents. Right, kids? Um, so that has been very powerful in teaching our children also that, uh, about the importance of forgiveness in relationships. Um, another thing that we're very intentional about um, is our work schedule. Donna and I, are we both work full-time, and so we have um, purposely changed our schedules around so that we've been able to have one of us at least at home every day after school during the school days. Um, and then the other thing, too, that we try to do is we teach them about tithing. When the kids were old enough to really understand what it means to have money, uh, we started giving them an allowance. And right from the very beginning, we taught them that 10% of this goes to the church and that uh, this belongs to God. Okay. Well, one of the things that uh, experts in this field tend to tell us is that one of the, be the most important factor in children raising, uh, being raised up to follow their parents' faith is authenticity in the lives of their parents that their parents are authentically, honestly living out their faith, uh, honest about their failures and struggles, but also communicating and demonstrating their commitment to faith as well. Uh, second thing we talked about was the church coming alongside to partner. Could you talk a little bit about how the church has partnered with you in this? So uh, we dedicated our children uh, because we know that we cannot live out our mission of raising a family without our church family here at Grace Chapel. And uh, we intentionally, when they were very young, participate and volunteer in Kids Town. And so our kids would be at Kids Town for two hours, and we would serve for the first hour, and then we would go to worship the second hour. The other thing is that we make it a habit for us to uh, talk about what we learn at church and how these things apply to us in our daily lives uh, during our Sunday lunch. And we've had some really wonderful conversations with our children that way. And the other thing is that uh, we know that uh, when 
they were very young. We are the primary sphere of influence. But as they grow older, uh, we intentionally surround them with adults and peers who are strong in their faith to serve as good role models. An example of that was our um, joining a life community group that consists of four families uh, who are single-minded and dedicated to mission. And the one thing that we love about our life community group is that the children, ages from 8 to 13, are involved in all of our activities, from uh, worship to prayer for missionaries to listening to missionaries talking about what is it like to really live out in the mission field uh, and also to participate in our community outreach. Uh, and now, uh, now son Jordan is going to talk about how Grace Chapel has helped him. So I've really started to grow in faith ever since I joined Stockgate a few years ago, and especially when I joined Fusion this year. I've met so many strong believers who've really made their mark on my life. It's just amazing to see how much grace can help. As a result of all this, just this past February, I decided to dedicate my life to God after going on a Fusion retreat. Thanks, Fusion is our, is our middle school ministry. Thanks, Jordan. Uh, last question. Uh, we talked then about families li having a mission and living on mission. How have you as a family begun to discover and fulfill your sense of, of mission in the world? So uh, very early on in our relationship, while we were still dating, uh, Loretta and I spent many hours talking about how God would use us to serve Him. And we discovered that we were both have a heart for cross-cultural mission uh, as well as uh, serving the poor. And so the other thing is that for we also have a heart for adoption, and God has brought us to us, Angelina, uh, in 2006 from China. And and, uh, and finally, uh, we intentionally want to make sure that our children do not grow up in a protective suburban bubble. So we try to find opportunities to expose them to cross-cultural experiences, to teach them that uh, the rest of the world doesn't really live like us here. Uh, and uh, Loretta can share with you some of the few things that we did. So first, one of the things that we try to do to expose our kids to um, life outside of our comfort zone is to live it by example. Um, I work as a pediatrician at the East Boston Health Center where the majority of my patients are very poor and in need. Um, and we found that this has been a great springboard for us to have some really great, meaningful conversation with our children. Um, secondly, we, Don and I, have been praying for a while about wanting to bring our children to overseas missions. And last year, we were able to go on our very first family missions trip to Moldova. And um, there we served as part of the Face of a Child team. And our children really learned a lot from there. They came back um, really realizing how much prayer, um, that God answers our prayers, but also just seeing that people who are um, in material need really are able to have such a joyous spirit and, and um, just a wonderful spirit. Um, and then thirdly, we also um, here at home, along with our life community, are um, very active in serving in local areas. We've worked here at the Grace's Food Pantry. We've gone to a Woburn Soup Kitchen. 
We've worked at a place of promise in Lowell, as well as visited a number of times to a nursing home here in Lexington. And in every one of these um, different serving um, situations, we've actually had our children play a really active role, uh, to the point where even at the soup kitchen, they were fighting over one another who was going to serve first, which we never see at home. Um, and. And the, you know, the nursing home, we've seen them really serve in ways of how they entertain the residents there. Um, they love seeing the children. They're, the kids will perform karate routines and play their musical instruments um, and really spend a lot of time one-on-one -on -one just interacting with them. So we've been very um, thankful that we've had a lot of experiences where we can teach our kids what it means to live on mission. Well, thank you. Donna Loretta, Jordan, and Angelina, great to have you here. Thank you. Thank you. Now, it could be at this moment you're thinking to yourself, well, that's an incredible family. <laughs> and you're right. It is incredible what God can do in and through the life of a family. But Donna Loretta will be the first to tell you that they are ordinary people, that their everyday lives can be as boring and predictable as yours and mine can be. But it is amazing the incredible things God can do when you're willing to take just a few intentional steps towards living on mission as a family. None of us, none of us were meant to live quiet, predictable, suburban lives. We were meant to live on mission. God wants to do something incredible in and through your family. Will you let him? Will you? Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for speaking into this central feature of our lives at whatever stage of life we might be in today. We are grateful for the families you have given to us. We recognize, Lord, that for some, family has been a disappointing and, and perhaps even hurtful, painful experience. And so we do ask you for healing and help in overcoming those wounds and those disappointments. But we are grateful that each of us have an opportunity to, to build a better story, to build a better family from this day forward. And pray that by your Spirit's help, with the support of our spiritual family around us, that we might take the steps you are setting before us right now at whatever stage of life we're in and whatever needs need to be addressed. Give us courage, give us faith, give us perseverance. But ultimately, we entrust our children and our families in this congregation, this next generation. We entrust them to your care and praise that you would raise all of us up to be people on mission. For Jesus' sake and in his name, amen.